it's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LaBounty and Nick Wiggins. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Final Drive, the first of 2024. Want to wish everyone a very happy and blessed and prosperous new year. Hope everyone was safe and has gotten your 2024 started off Right, Corey LeBounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you this afternoon. Want to thank everyone for having us locked in to WNSP 105.5. And as always, if you haven't downloaded the free Sound of Mobile app, make sure you do so to any Android or Apple device that you have. You can also give us a call here, 251-694-1055. We would love to hear from you this first hour. We are opening up the phone lines to you, 251-694-1055. We want to get your opinions on what you witnessed on yesterday in the college football playoff semifinals. Of course, the Crimson Tide losing to the Michigan Wolverines in overtime and the Washington Huskies, almost an epic and disastrous finale against the Texas Longhorns, found a way to hold on to their win last night and the runner-up in the Heisman 14-0 Washington Huskies will be seeking their first national championship since 1991 and the 14-0 Michigan Wolverines they'll be seeking their first national championship since 1997 and we welcome your calls 251-694-1055 and we want to get your thoughts on the last play of the game and your thoughts on the game overall. And we do have a caller on the line. Caller, Happy New Year. Welcome to the final drive. Who am I speaking with? Speaking with Tony. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Tony. Thanks for giving us a call. What's your thoughts on the semifinals that we watched yesterday? Well, the, the, the Michigan-Alabama game to start off with, like, I felt like a lot of people really thought that Alabama was going to be so much more faster and, and, and physically dominating than Michigan, and actually it was the latter. You saw Michigan D-line gave the Alabama's offensive line fits all day. Um, and the actual receivers, the backs, the skill players were, were, were a lot faster than Alabama thought um one of the main things that I noticed is that watching the game, I'm an Auburn fan, you know. I'm I'm rooting against Alabama, but, you know, because I'm an Auburn fan. But I did notice this. the Alabama's quarterback, the only offense Alabama had in that game that worked was him scrambling. And when he started running, they, they, they started to, to run the read, which had the linebackers allowed them to, you know, get a little more going in the running game. But just as a whole, if you look at Alabama offensively, my question would be, if you take Florida State's quarterback, backup quarterback, could he have gone 16 for 27 for 116 yards and no touchdowns? 
Because that's basically what Bama's quarterback did. And we were told that, hey, you're getting Bama because FSU ain't got a quarterback. And, I mean, it, it, I don't know. Well, it Tony, a lot. <laughs> I, I, will, I will answer your question in a couple of ways. Jalen Miro, 16 yeah. out of 23, 116 yards. Alabama doesn't make it to that game without Jalen Milrow, period. In Milrow, we trust. And I will say this. I think a lot of Auburn fans, including yourself, would say that Jalen Milrow is a lot better than Peyton Thorne. Because if you look at Peyton Thorne and his production in the Music City Bowl, I don't think a lot of Auburn fans were as happy or they were as disgusted as a lot of Alabama fans were in their performance in the bowl games. And Alabama offensive line was pathetic, period, point blank. It's the same offensive line and the lack of blocking that a lot of Alabama fans, including their coaching staff, saw in week one, two, three, and four. And then the offensive line put itself together and got on the same page. And last night, yesterday afternoon, giving up five sacks in the first half, unacceptable. And you're not going to win many games. The plus side of that, when you look at giving up five sacks in the first half, Alabama's still in the game, still having an opportunity there in the second half to only give up one sack and not get it done. And at the end of the day, I think that Milrow has been a tremendous asset to the Alabama Crimson Tide and has done tremendous things, has broken several records, and the team rallied around Jalen Milrow. So I wish that Jalen Milrow would have continued to remain quiet and wouldn't have said as much as he did in the press conferences leading up to the Rose Bowl. I think the expectations that he put on himself and the pressure he put on himself, especially after that Bill O'Brien comment that he made about him sucking, I think now you have to go out in the Rose Bowl and not suck. And you have to go out in the Rose Bowl and find a way to protect. But bottom line is the offensive line did not protect Jalen Milrow, could not get in any type of rhythm. And Alabama still, despite that, found a way. And if you want to look at it, at the end of the game, the defense had a chance to stop Michigan. They had a chance with the lead that Jalen Milrow and this offense built for them at 20-13 to 13 to go ahead and win the game and did not do it, was not able to stop them. Now, on the flip side of that, kudos to the Michigan Wolverines and kudos to the Big Ten. And as an SEC fan, regardless of you're with Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, Kentucky, doesn't matter who you're with and who you're riding with in the SEC, Nick, it's the first time since 2014 we have not had an SEC team in the national championship game. Yeah, and I, I can't believe I let you and the Michael Bronners and the George Teagues of the world get me feeling good about this Alabama team, man. I, had, I picked Michigan at the beginning of the year, and then after watching this season, I changed my mind. I thought Alabama was going to beat them. I started sipping the Kool-Aid, and... I should have just stuck with my guns because – and, you know, I almost thought y'all were going to pull it out off that punt when the guy muffed the punt at the one-yard line. Can you believe that? I thought y'all were going to recover that 
you know, QB sneak, get your <laughs> your one yard, get your touchdown. But, I mean, credit to that guy for, I guess, being quick enough to make it where he was tackled at the one. But, I mean, y'all had all the opportunities, but Michigan pulled it out. And um, I guess now, seeing how Jalen Milrow ended, you know, what our caller was just saying, do you think that, we're not necessarily back to square one, but hey, have we lost no, a little Nick, bit of the progress? Don't start that BS today. What? Don't start that. <laughs> don't even stir the pot with that, my brother. For 11 straight weeks in Milro, we trust. Week in and week out. Week in and week out. This time last so year, if you want to come the... to me with a quarterback controversy, by all means, please do so. But well, don't look, come to saying... me with a quarterback controversy after the season that Jalen Milrow had. I'm not going to say there was a quarterback controversy. I'm not going to say that, but I will. Th I mean, I think you have to say that the play by Jalen Milrow was left. Was what? Left to Seth McLaughlin couldn't get him to snap. Left more so to be desired. It so it's all on the offensive line. It was what? You, if you don't get a clean snap, Nick, ha okay. have you ever played quarterback before? No. Okay, well, let me tell you this. First and foremost, if you have a center who's snapping you the ball, would you like it to be snapped to your hands or to your feet? Sure, sure, sure. So as breaking this play down, when you have a low snap, and as a quarterback, what has to be there, first and foremost, are your eyes. You have to see where the pressure's coming from. You have to read where the pressure's coming from. If you're not able to do that... So as, tell me this. You know, at the beginning, like, when... Alabama played Texas. We were having a lot of troubles with the offensive line and taking uh, sacks. Do we think that this is more just the Alabama offensive line when they play against really elite Hell line no, competition? Nick. We play against elite teams. That's in what the I thought in Georgia. What so is Georgia? So what is it? What, what is, is Georgia? I what agree, is Georgia? But that's why I'm confused seeing how Michigan, what Michigan right, did compared to what Georgia did. Can't make any excuses. But let me ask you this. Yeah. If you remedy the problem, which was the snap, that we've seen happen throughout the entire year, not every game, but there was a spurt where we went with, through two games to where we had could not get the quarterback center exchange right, could not get it right. Well, that ugly, vicious part of the game raised its ugly head yesterday as well. We hadn't seen that for about seven or eight weeks, for two months. We had not seen that at all. And then for whatever reason yesterday, Seth McLaughlin could not get it done. He could not get it done. So and on that last quarterback play call, would love to hear from you guys, 251-694-1055. If you don't have a clean snap, if you're not able to see the defense with your eyes up to read whether you're supposed to go through the zero gap right up the middle or whether you need to wait for your guard to pull and then follow your guard. You're talking about in the overtime? In, uh, in the last play yeah. of the game. Mm -hmm. If you're not able to do that, then it's not going to work. All right, let me ask you this, Corey. What are the three main factors and reasons that Alabama lost? Michigan is a hell of a lot better than what Alabama thought. All right, there's one. Okay. Two, you did not block your you, you did not block the defense line. You gave up six quarterback sacks. Mm. Okay? You gave up six quarterback sacks. And three, when you look at it, your defense didn't get stops when they needed to get stops. Yeah. Three right there. Yeah. Special teams on point. 
On point, Will Riker did his job. Hit two 50-yard field goals. Hit both his extra points. Special teams did their job recovering a muff punt. The first play of the game, really to me, when that interception was overturned by Caleb Downs, I thought was going to set the tone. And the way Alabama was able to flip it, the SEC championship game, Georgia goes down the field, runs it down Alabama's throat. It's 7-0 before you know. Same thing in this game. Alabama takes the drive. Jason McClellan goes in 7-0. You're feeling real good. And then all of a sudden, you're not able to protect. And if you're not able to protect, then you're not going to give your elite wide receivers an opportunity. Blake Corum is good. He's good. Didn't hit 100 yards, but didn't have to. He scored the one touchdown that he needed to in overtime. That was complete domination by Michigan's offensive line in overtime on that game-winning touchdown that he had. Yeah. Complete domination. Hat on hat. Could not get off blocks. Pushed Alabama three or four yards off the line of scrimmage. Complete domination there in overtime by Michigan. And Alabama, again, if you can't protect it, you're not going to give yourself a chance to win. It wasn't interceptions that were thrown. Right. Miro did not have a great day at the office. You look at him protecting that football when they fumbled the football on that nice drive we had. Bottom line is you must protect the football. It wasn't a defender who come and swipe it away. If you're protecting that football the way that they were ripping at Jason McClellan when he scored on his touchdown, you don't fumble that football. And I think Milro had too much pressure on himself. Mm. And the defense put too much pressure on themselves. And, again, Michigan, much better. They're ranked number one in the country. They had the number two defense in the country for a reason. Right. Regardless of what their schedule dictated and said. Harbaugh, kudos to Coach Harbaugh. This man didn't coach six games and still has his team in the national championship game at 14-0. People say that Harbaugh outcoached Nick Saban. At the end of the day, he won. So you can yeah. say he outcoached him. What do you think about the play calling on don't offense? Have, don't, have, don't have a problem with the play calling. No, no problem don't with have the play a, calling. Don't have a problem with the play calling. Don't have a problem. Because if you can't block and protect, doesn't matter what you call. So you're so in that final play that was being criticized sure. by a lot of people online. You're saying that's more on the center for the bad snap, not giving Jalen Milrow the opportunity to make a read. Boom, boom! You have less than a second to make a read. Yeah, that's a design quarterback run. Milrow, if he would have got a clean snap, he wasn't going to hit the swing route anyway. He was going to run that football, but he didn't give himself an opportunity to follow 300 pounds of beef right. that was pulling. He didn't give himself an opportunity to do that. And once again, Alabama's offensive line in that game is, is really what hurt the most. And despite as bad six sacks, honk if you sacked Jalen, six sacks is what you gave up. The last time I remember that is 11, Brody Crawl against Auburn. This quarterback was sacked more than any Alabama quarterback since Freddie Kitchens. And Freddie Kitchens was nowhere near as nimble and mobile as Jalen Milrow was. So I think that if you look at overall week to week, Tommy Reese 
a lot of people are angry with Tommy Reese. Those same people that were angry with Tommy Reese, I don't see them being angry with him when we converted fourth and 31, fourth and goal from the 31, when we dissected and defeated LSU or Ole Miss or Tennessee. Didn't see that peanut gallery people coming out. So with that being said, I, I think that, yes, someone in the app says play calling matters. If you know you're getting beat con constantly on drop back passing, you can't keep calling drop back passing. Alabama and their play calling was not the problem in this game. You, you must protect first and foremost. And I know we do have a caller on the line. Caller, welcome to the final drive. Who am I speaking with? Hello, how you doing? Wonderful. Who am I speaking with? This is Walter. Walter, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, and I'm enjoying y'all show. But I just want to speak on one area of the game yesterday that cost Alabama that game. Sure. They self-destruct. When they came out there in the second half, they was on a roll. If I'm not mistaken, they was at Michigan 45-yard line, I believe. When, uh, in first and 10 at Michigan 45-yard line, and the center rolled the ball 20 yards downfield. That area right there, Alabama, uh, they was rolling. They were fit to go down and either score a field goal. They, they was only about 15 yards away from being in field goal range when he rolled that ball down, I think it was about 20 yards. And then the, uh, went down there and snapped the ball low the second time, and he had to fall to the ground to cover, to recover that ball, and that was third down and 30. That is the area right there where uh, if they had went down and scored three points, the name never, I mean, the game never would have went into overtime. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, thank you All for right. calling, and happy New Year to you once again. I agree. It, it boils down to what you have. And Nick Saban, let's hear from Coach Saban on his play calling and what he felt uh, about Jalen Milrow on the last play. Three options. You had the timeout by Michigan, the timeout by Alabama, and then you had the actual play call. Nick Saban talking about that afterwards. Coach Saban, could you talk about the last play and what made that one the best one that, that you wanted to go with? Uh, we called three plays. Um, one they called timeout, one we called timeout, and the last one that didn't work. So the fact that it didn't work made it a really bad call. You know what I mean? So um, but we called timeout because we had a bad look. We had a good look on the first one. Uh, they must have known it. Um, but Tommy just felt like the best thing that we could do uh, was have a quarterback run, uh, which was kind of our two-point play, one of our two-point plays for this game. And the ball was on the three-yard line, which is just like a two-point play. So, but we didn't get it blocked, so it didn't work. We didn't execute it very well, and it didn't work. No, first thing, I'm appreciative of my coaching staff uh, for believing in me to have the ball in my hands on that last play. Um, you win some, you lose some. This is all part of the game, you know. Uh, with anything, you know, all I, all I came down was fall back to your level of training, and we just failed on that play. That's all it was, you know, because at the end of the day, I just trusted the guys up front for believing me on the last play to have the ball, and unfortunately, we just 
We just missed, and we just didn't get in the end zone. Nick, what did you see on that final play? Uh, I saw a very anticlimactic ending. It, in, it ended very quick, man. Like if you were running to the bathroom to grab uh, or to go to the restroom or running to your kitchen to grab something to eat, you would have missed it because, I mean, he called Hutt and he immediately just hit the butt of his lineman, I feel. Um, when you see the replay, you do see the, I think, was it the guard? That I'm telling you it was the guard. To the left. I'm telling uh, you. To lead, to lead block, but there just wasn't any time to get anything going. Um, I wish they would have picked a different play that didn't have such a quick ending so we could have had a little more, you know, Jalen rolling to the left, buying time. But it ended quick. Michigan, they took care of business, man. But I, I'm I'm not a big fan of the play call, though. I don't like a – like a – I don't know. May, maybe it would have been a good play call if it would have been executed correctly, like Correct. Nick Saban was saying. If the snap is clean, the play is executed correctly. Yep. And Seth McLaughlin did not even speak with reporters afterwards, which is his prerogative. But mm-hmm. I know this much, even through the bitter losses, sometimes you man up and, and, and you just speak on it. And you talk about what went right, what went wrong. And in that particular play for the gusto, it's what did not go right and could not create a hole. Credit to Michigan's defense. And they're the number two ranked defense in the country for a reason. They came back, and they wanted it more than Alabama did. Their execution down the stretch was better than Alabama's. Therefore, they're victorious. And we'll get some thoughts from Terion Arnold along with hearing from Jalen Milrow as well on the other side of this break here. You're listening to the final drive. We're taking your calls, 251-694-1055 for this entire first hour. We're also replying and responding to your comments in the app. The final drive, Corey LeBounty and Nick Wiggins will be right back. Hey, this is Ladarius Owens, former Auburn football player and current CFL player. You're listening to WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. want to thank everyone for having us locked and tuned in. You can give us a call. Our phone lines are wide open, 251-694-1055, 251-694-1055. And you have to credit the Michigan Wolverines for getting it done. They had not trailed in the second half the entire season, 13 games Michigan had not trailed in the second half. Alabama had Michigan up against the ropes, was ready to knock them out. And credit to the Wolverines for finding a way to get it done because you look at J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum and the way that they were able to capitalize off of every opportunity given and have their backs against the wall and once again decided to go ahead and score right in the beginning of overtime, kept that momentum going, scoring back-to-back touchdowns. And when it mattered the most, the Michigan Wolverines proved to be the number one team in the country. Well, you talk about, uh, you know, giving credit to Michigan. We really need to give credit to the college football playoff committee because without a doubt, no question, I think we know that the four correct teams were chosen with both of these games ending 
on the final play of the game for a chance to win it or tie it or what have you. I mean, you, you can't plan it better than that. Nope. You cannot, and you will not plan it better than that. I mean, if you let Florida State in, I, I don't think that they're able to put up the same type of fight that Alabama did against Michigan. No. I think that when you look at Georgia, if Georgia gets in, Georgia, I think, would have put up the same type of fight for sure that they did. And but there I think was Georgia no lackluster game the, on it, New Year's. Uh, once again, you had what the college football playoff committee considered the four best teams. And if Florida State was to be considered as one, well, you had a chance to do what you needed to do against Georgia. And you got beat to sleep 63-3. to three. And that's the worst blowout that yeah. we have seen in bowl game history. Yeah. And, again, answer the bell. You want to waste taxpayers' money on fighting the college football playoff committee on passing bills or laws? No, nah, Florida State got exactly what they deserve. And I, I know Florida State was running mostly – third stringers but it's not like Georgia had Brock Bowers or some of their real elite elite guys that are headed toward the draft once again Nick it wouldn't have mattered who they had Georgia was going to beat Florida State to sleep beat them 63 to 3 and with that being said also want to hear about Nick Saban talking about his audio on this year's on coaching this year's team and what coaching this year's team meant to him because I personally feel that this was Nick Saban's greatest coaching job, but he talked about this being one of the most amazing football seasons that he's had in his 17 years as coach. Obviously, we're very disappointed about the outcome of the game. Uh, I don't think we played great in the first half, but I was really, really proud of the way our players played in the second half. We just didn't finish the last four minutes of the game. Uh, like we'd like to and we're all very disappointed and the players are disappointed as well um, But one thing that I told them in the locker room after the game This is one of the most amazing seasons in Alabama football history in terms of Where this team came from what they were able to accomplish and what they're able to do uh, winning the SEC championship and um, really really proud of this group and um, you know, I just wish that I could have done more as a coach to, you know, help them be successful and help them finish. And all we can do now is learn from the lessons that uh, sometimes failings bring to us. Love that fact. You own up to it. Wish you could have done more. The adjustments were made with two new coordinators and Tommy Reese, along with Kevin Steele and Coach Saban saying this is the most amazing team that he's been a part of in regards to how far they've come from start to finish. And I would have to agree with them there. When we come back, we'll give a little preview on the Auburn-Maryland debacle yeah. because Auburn, right when you think Hugh Freeze has things going the right way, it was like a bomb imploded, not exploded, imploded within their preparation for Maryland. So we're here from Hugh Freeze on that one. We'll also hear from you, 251-694-1055. You're listening to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hello, Mobile. This is Damian Craig, and I'm listening to Sports Station WNSP. Welcome back to The Final Drive on WNSP. Corey Bounty, along with Nick Wiggins. Want to wish everyone a very happy new year as this is our first show back in 2020.
2024. First college football playoff national title game since 2014 with no SEC team being involved. Ohio State and Oregon back in 2014 was the last time we had to deal with that. Of course, Alabama loses to Michigan 27 to 20. And Nick, you mentioned about the great semifinal games that both came down to the final play. Washington, the irony in this, joining the Big Ten in August of 2024, playing a current Big Ten member in the national championship game on Monday. How much excitement do you think will be generated? How much buzz do you think will be generated between Washington and Michigan? Uh, I don't think it's going to be as much that would have been generated between an Alabama and a Texas rematch. I think a lot of people would have wanted to see that. Um, I think this is the least. I think we did get the the worst of the potential matchups, you know, Michigan versus Washington. Not that it's a bad one, but I think Michigan versus Texas would have been a little more fun in terms of just the big brands of college football, but. I mean, look, when you look at just the narrative that Michael Penix has this year, um, you know, leading his team to be perfect, beating Oregon twice. I mean, there maybe Michael Penix can put it all together and maybe they can beat Michigan. But right now, I think Michigan is going to uh, take care of business against Michael Penix. But credit to Michael Penix, man. He's got to be rising up draft boards, though. Listen, you're you're the runner up in the Heisman Trophy Award to Jaden Daniels. And what he was able to do was so very impressive in finding a way to, to get things done and everything that he's been able to overcome. And I'm looking forward to to seeing the matchup, to find out where he's going to wind up being. But, I mean, he made every throw 430 yards passing and really put himself there in the college football playoff most passing yards category, surpassing one Mac Jones so I think that Penix Jr. and the problems that he presents are, are going to be interesting to see how Coach Harbaugh and them deal with it. Coach Harbaugh being able to ride off into the sunset at his alma mater if he's able to win a national championship, I think would be one for the record books. And needs one. leaving them behind with all the problems that have been created. But I know, you know, sign-stealing – was not an issue during the Alabama-Michigan game. No, I didn't hear nothing about that. No. And it, it, I know the guy, the coach that was accused of the sign stealing, he was at the Rose Bowl. He bought a ticket and, and went as a fan, saw okay. that on Instagram. So he did attend the game. And continue, would love to hear from you, 251-694-1055. 251-694-1055 is how you can reach out to us or you can reach us on the app as well. I'm just excited for Jim Harbaugh to hopefully get him a ring. Jim Harbaugh is a guy who I think, you know, in the future, when you look back on history, he's just a guy who I think has done enough to earn and deserve that national championship. At least so, one. A, at least one. He's a guy who needs to have at least one. And I think this year, man, if this isn't the year you get it, if this does become like the – you know, Hollywood, Michael Pinnock script, movie type of year, and he wins it, man, I really feel bad for Jim Harbaugh in Michigan at that point. I feel that 
the college football committee got it right in the four teams that belong. Evident in going down to the last play of the game right. in both games. Competitive matchups. All eyeballs were there from beginning to the end. The SEC, five and four in bowl games overall. What were your thoughts on that? Ole Miss took I, care of business. Yeah. Lane Kiffin even said when put on the spot on Saturday, roll tight. He felt that Alabama was going to represent the well, SEC. Ole Miss took care of business. Missouri took care of business. Is that the biggest win in Missouri's Absolutely history is. as a football program? Absolutely it is. I mean, you beat Ohio State 14 to what, three? Absolutely. So and I it was ugly. Until yeah. the fourth quarter well, when you they know, found a way to get it in gear. A lot of these good teams, you know, higher caliber teams are having these ugly bowl games because I think it's the fans. We don't really care about them much. We criticize the players not really caring about them as much, you know, opting out, hitting the portal, whatever. But I think even at this point, the coaches don't even care anymore, really. Even Hugh Free said, oh, man, I... I wasn't really focused about the game, this bowl game. I'm really worried about recruiting. It's like we're even, gonna, even we're you're hear not locked in. Audio after their debacle, 31 to 13 loss to Maryland here momentarily, because again Auburn did have a very disappointing loss to Maryland, in which they lost 31 to 13. Someone in the app says Michael Penix Jr. should have been the Heisman Trophy winner. I don't agree with that. Jaden Daniels put up video game type numbers and with three losses the same thing as RG3 and a couple right. of other quarterbacks who have won the Heisman his numbers were uh, better it will though i mean the Heisman is done right after the regular season but when we look back on history especially if somehow Washington ends up winning and we see this crazy year that Michael Penix had and how he was able to beat Oregon in that Pac-12 championship and to win that first uh, college football playoff game and then to win a national championship, it will kind of stick out when you look back and you think, man, what an amazing college football year. Literally as great as it could be. Oh, but then the Heisman went to Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels doesn't opt out if the Heisman is not voted upon until after all the bowl games. Which yeah, my fact. personal opinion is it should not be voted upon until after all the bowl games and no. your national champion is crowned. Yeah. To me, that's when the Heisman Trophy winners should be sure. presented. Now, if you want to argue that, go right ahead. Yep. Go ahead and dispute that. I would love to hear. But Jaden Daniels would have played in every game possible if that's what the Heisman Trophy yeah. was all about. No, for sure. I'm just saying, like, you know, 10 years in the future when – you know, 20 years in the future when some little kid is like, man, what was college football like in the year 2023? You know, and, and they say, oh, dang, you know, look, wow, Washington, Michael Penix, man, what an amazing year for him. I bet he won a Heisman, too. And it's like, ah, no, actually, there was a guy who's actually statistically better than him. Even though Michael Penix had the big games and went all the way to the end, it, actu it actually was this other guy. But I'm sure there's probably – I don't know. You know, you talk about RG3 – I'm sure there was a quarterback when you look back on that year who had, I mean, he, I don't know the year he won the Heisman and who ended up winning the national championship, but I'm sure whatever quarterback won it that year also had a very, you know, great narrative um, that would lead you to believe that maybe they could also win a Heisman, but that's not the way it goes all the time. No, it, it doesn't, but the way it went for the Auburn Tigers, finishing up the season six and seven, 
third straight losing season. And when you look at, it's been 45 years since Auburn had three consecutive losing seasons. Yeah. Auburn fans aren't used to losing either. No. And they can't stand the fact that the success is there for Alabama. And then you sit there and you struggle the way you do as Auburn. Right. I'm an Auburn fan, and I think it sucks, too, to have three consecutive losing seasons. Sure. Well, Auburn fans, I would say pump the brakes a little bit. First-year coach. And, you know, we're praising him so much for his recruiting, right? He's got, like, the seventh recruiting cr class. He's flipping all these Alabama and Georgia commits. I mean, Hugh Freeze is doing everything that Auburn fans wanted an Auburn coach to do. It is just a little crazy that – you know, when you see that bowl game and Hugh Freeze's response is just, hey, man, I'm I'm just doing the recruiting stuff you guys love. People might have missed that. So let, yeah, let's, let's go see. ahead and play Hugh Freeze's response to their loss and his post-game exchange after the Maryland loss in the Music City Bowl. What went wrong out there today? Was it execution? Was it, you know, how did you feel about the game plan? And you guys feel like it was an effective game plan for this one? Well, obviously, I don't feel like it was an effective one. Um, I, I didn't get too involved in it um, for most of the part until this week because of recruiting and uh, really wanted to kind of evaluate um, everything about our program. And it, uh, but we, we didn't run the ball. It starts there. And so we have to go look at the, the run schemes that we had and, you know, did we would not play hard up front or and that's really hard for me to tell I mean but they they really dominated the line of scrimmage against us with then they did load the box now they forced us to uh, they had extra hats in, in the box for sure and that's when you've got to be able to throw it some and but we didn't protect the passer real well and it wasn't all the old line or sometimes the backs didn't didn't get the protection right um, but anytime you you struggle like we did it's, it's, it's not, it's not, I don't feel like the plan was, was great. Let me ask you this, Corey. Is the elite Auburn recruiting classes, and it looks like how they're going to move for the future, is it worth just dropping and getting blown out in a bowl game by a backup quarterback? No, absolutely it's not. Your, your fans don't pay to see you get blown out in a bowl game. They don't travel to whatever the destination is Nashville, to see – you get blown out. Any team, yep. any team, the fan does not want to see their team take that loss. And Maryland, their backup quarterbacks, six out of 20, four out of six, not staggering Talia Tungavailoa numbers. Right. So Auburn just couldn't find a way to get it done. They dug themselves a hole to where they were down 21 nothing at the end of right. the first quarter, and you were trying to figure out how did – how did that happen so fast? What do they do wrong so well? He mentioned Jarquez Hunter, 13 carries, 44 yards. And that's the Auburn that really struggled at the beginning of the year. So it's kind of interesting to see the struggles that Auburn had at the beginning of the year show its face again in the bowl game. Same thing with Alabama, the struggles that they had at the beginning of the year. Sure. Show its face in the bowl game. Yeah, and I, I guess the – yeah, th those are two good comparisons, and I would say the big difference, and I think that for Hugh Freeze, that 
you know, it's your first year here at Auburn. I'm going to just say this is just like first year. We'll give you a pass on this one. Like you can't have an excuse. You can't your excuse for getting blown out. Can't be sorry. I wasn't really a part of it. I've been recruiting uh, until this week. It's like, dude, come on. Like I get it, but that just can't be what you say. No, you there, there take has more, to be a, a great balance. There's got to be like balance. You, you got to take some accountability. Nick Saban, he's out here having an elite recruiting class. It's not like he lost to Michigan by 30 and they said, Nick Saban, what happened? Oh, man, I've been recruiting. Like, uh, I'll, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because it's year one, but Hugh Freeze, you got to do better and be better in that regard. He, here's someone in the app said, no one cares about these bowl games. You think any real Auburn fan is going to carry spent time recruiting versus planning for Maryland? Seriously, See, what does I, a win over I, Maryland I, I, mean? Honestly, with the user in the app, like I think Hugh Freeze was almost like, man, this game doesn't matter. I'm going to worry about recruiting. I'll see what my assistants and these players can do kind of on their own. And it's more like it's just a scrimmage game. It's just a a a practice for what players are still going to be here. And, you know, what do you want to do with them next year? It, I mean, he's right. It has no meaning for us as fans, for the players, as we have record opt outs. And, you know, Hugh Freeze, I don't think he said it deliberately, but I think even the coaches aren't caring that much at this point either. Well, if you don't think coaches care about being in a bowl game. We're going to hear what Kirby Smart had to say with their dominating win yep. over FSU. I'll say this, some care, three. some care, some don't. Yeah, there you go. I, I, you you got to be, you got to clarify. And I think Auburn cares too. Who wants to have three consecutive losing seasons for the first time in 45 years? Nobody wants to be on the wrong side of history, Nick. Nobody. Sure. And when you are, there's accountability for it. Because like you said, the Heisman Trophy winner, 10 or 15 years from now, when you go back and look at it, people are going to go back and look at it too if they don't produce within this recruiting class. The final drive, Corey LeBounty and Nick Wiggins will be right back. Hey, this is Julian Zeus McClurkin with the world famous Harlem Globetrotters, and my favorite station is WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive, and Kirby Smart put the smackdown on Florida State. A one-loss Georgia team didn't have a chance to back up and to defend their back-to-back -back national championship because of the one loss they had to Alabama in the SEC championship game. Kirby Smart chiming in on the state of college football. Let me say something on that because you didn't ask me that question. And maybe I'm wrong here, and maybe this will be a bad sound bite. But people need to see what happened tonight, and they need to fix this. It needs to be fixed. It's very unfortunate that they, who has a good football team and a good football program, are in the position they're in. And everybody can say it's their fault, just our own problem. All right? And everybody can say that we had our guys and they didn't have their guys. I can listen to all that. But college football has got to decide what they want. And I know things are changing, and I think things are going to change next year. And you know what? There's going to still be bowl games outside of those. People got to decide what they want and what they really want to get out of it. Because it's really unfortunate for those kids on that sideline that they had to play in that game. They didn't have their full arsenal. And it affected the game 100%. Kirby Smart, his Bulldogs, where do you think they finish in the final college football rankings? Oh, they'll uh... – I don't know. Maybe 
Maybe five, actually. Yep, that, that's exactly where I'm thinking. I, if the Alabama finish. and Texas games wouldn't have been as close as they were, maybe they jump one of them. But because they were down to the final play, even though Georgia really handled Florida State, I don't think they're really going to move up for real. Yeah, I, I think that Georgia, once again, I hate it. But, again, it's almost like with the expansion of the 12-game college football playoff starting next year, Georgia – no room for disappointment there for them next year. As hungry as Alabama was right. with the way their season ended a year ago, not having a chance to play in the SEC championship game, they had that circled on their board all year long. Tennessee, LSU, take care of those two games, yep. and we'll have an opportunity to be Southeastern Conference champions. And now when you're looking at divisionless football, one versus two, it's easily where you could see Alabama and Georgia matching up once again. But with the addition of Texas, I'm looking forward to seeing what Oklahoma and Texas can bring. And you hate that both of those teams lost their last conference game and go out losers. But what they bring to the Southeastern Conference is even greater. Southeastern Conference, five and four. We'll be right back. Hour number two. The Sound of Mobile presents... The final drive. No, they didn't. Oh, my gracious. Yeah. How about that? With Corey Labounty and Nick Wiggins. For the win. Yes. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. Oh, oh, unbelievable. Welcome back to hour number two of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Nick Wiggins joining you. We want to... Wish everyone a happy new year as this is our first show of 2024. And as always, we like to bring in Locked On SEC host Chris Gordy in with us. Chris, happy new year to you. I know you were down in New Orleans last night seeing another college football semifinal epic finish between Texas and Washington and also you had a chance to to chime in and watch a little bit of Alabama and Michigan and that fantastic finish as well. How's everything going for you, Chris? It's good, man. It's uh, it's funny watching that game last night. It was a Pac-12 versus uh, Big 12 Big 12 showdown, but you know, in 8 months from now, that'll be an SEC versus Big 10 showdown. So it was really really kind of weird as we turn the calendar to 2024. Our brains are going to melt trying to get used to all this stuff. I felt like a projected uh, brackets up, and it had 14th ranked Arizona as a four seed. Somebody said, "Well, how is Arizona ranked 14th, but they're a four seed in the playoff next year?" I said, "Oh, because they're the they're the Big 12 champ in this scenario." It's like, God, my brain just hurts thinking about all the craziness that's going to happen in college football with all the movement. Yeah, it, it really is going to be wild starting August of 2024. Once we do have all these conference realignments, and what was realigned for the Michigan Wolverines was the overtime and their dominance there scoring late in the fourth quarter along with scoring there in overtime as well. If you would have told me Alabama had a 20-13 to 13 lead after giving up six sacks against the Wolverines, I would have said Alabama's still not going to lose that game. But it was kind of the yipsies and what we saw from the Alabama Crimson Tide O-line in the first part of the season, the first four games, and then what we saw here once again 
with Jalen Milrow at quarterback. A lot of people, Bama fans, are pointing and blaming the play call Tommy Reese had, but I just think that if you have a bad snap in that situation, your timing and your eye control is everything. Oh, yeah, and there were bad snaps all night. I mean, uh, you know, we're going to look back on this year's Alabama team and say, look, did, did they play over their heads? Probably, you know, just with, with all the new that they had and you know, working in a new quarterback when you've gone from stud after stud after stud for all these years, you know, with Mac Tua and Mac Jones and Bryce Young. I mean, you, you've had it made in the shade when it comes to elite quarterback play, and suddenly – you were kind of throwing a bone this year. We saw it, you know, throughout spring ball where it's like you're going to the portal and bringing in, a, you know, a lacrosse player to come uh, try to help, you know, battle for a quarterback spot. It just – there was so much kind of up in the air. And then you know, I had people telling me in the spring, this might be the best offensive line Bama's ever had. And yet, as the season played out, man, did we see inconsistencies and guys not run blocking or not pass protecting and not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And it's crazy because it's – four- and five-star talent all over the place. But, you know, kind of some of the early season struggles with the O-line, you know, reared their ugly head yesterday. And, and it, it wasn't surprising. Like, Michigan is one of the best defensive teams in the country. So it didn't shock me that they were getting after it. But I'm just surprised Tommy Reese and, and Saban they didn't make many adjustments offensively. You know, uh, Jalen Miller was a sitting duck back there at times. And I just didn't understand why not adjust and have him roll out more and give him the pass, the run pass option out in space, as opposed to no, you sit back there in the pocket and wait for your guy to get open, and then you know screams again that Alabama all those years of elite alpha dog wide receivers they don't have one. This team hasn't had one all year. Jermaine Burton had one or two really good games, but you know where's the where's the Calvin Ridley? Where's the Jerry Judy? Where's the the dog that's going to be? You know, a hundred, you know, guaranteed a hundred yards receiving every week. They, they, that guy never emerged this year, so it just kind of encapsulates this, this Bama season. They played over their heads. They were able to win an SEC championship. I think they should celebrate that because, you know, on paper, this wasn't a team that, um, you know, it, this was probably should have been a two or three loss Bama team. And, and honestly, um, if LSU had any semblance of a defense with the way Jaden Daniels played that night in Tuscaloosa, maybe that's a game Bama, you know, could have lost. Uh, the Auburn game, obviously, that one was left out there. Uh, I don't think they were ever really in danger of losing South, the South Florida game, but it was it was ugly nonetheless. So, you know, it, it was it was one of those years where I think if you're a Banner fan, you got to look back on it and go, hey, look, for everything we had go wrong this year, for us to finish like we did, I think I think you got to look back and be proud of it. And that's what Nick Saban said after the game last night was, you know, look, this is probably going to be one of those teams I'm going to look back fondly on and and, and remember, but. That said, man, you were so close. <laughs> to be that close, one play away from you know, sending this thing to a double overtime. And even really, if you think about it, the punt towards the end of regulation. If that thing goes another foot into the end zone, you know, Bama win, wins this thing in, re in regulation, perhaps. So, you know, it's just, uh, it, 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 it's, it's always, um, you know, funky this time of year. Sometimes teams that we don't expect to win, uh, win games. And, I'll save Nick Saban. I mean, for as much credit as he gets, there are times when he's when he gets out coached, and it's not. It doesn't happen often, but it does happen. He's not. He's not infallible. He, he's got. Uh, you know, he's got makes mistakes just like all of us sometimes. So uh, it, it is weird, though. I mean, it's it's a for for me who hosts the Locked On SEC podcast. 
it kind of sucks to be starting 2024 and having a non-SEC team uh, national championship for the first time in almost a decade. It kind of sucks. Yeah, it really does. I, I know that the SEC network is going through withdrawal for sure in regards <laughs> to their programming and what they had on deck. But the SEC's record in bowl games was 5-4. and four. And when you look at going back to the shocking loss, the way that Auburn lost to Maryland 31-13, to there was no question in any of our minds how bad Georgia was going to put the smack down on Florida State. But Auburn's 21-0 first quarter performance is kind of perplexing to me. Well, I thought it was really telling Hugh Freeze you know, when he's doing the, the press conferences leading up to bowl, pre bowl preparation, says, you know, oh, we, we believe in Peyton Thorne. And, you know, we saw it. The season went along. We gave that guy time and, and protected him and gave him time to throw. He got he got better and better. And, you know, it was this big, like, stumping for Peyton Thorne. And then after after seeing how he played in the bowl game on, uh, you know, on Saturday, Hugh Freeze comes out, gets to the podium and says, you know, everything's on the table. You know, it's, everything's wide open. You know, it's like, uh, I don't blame him. I mean, but but I really think Auburn has made a mistake here. I know the portal is, is going to open up again, you know, at the end of spring ball. But, man, they made a mistake not not adding another quarterback. I really believe that. I mean, I, you, they can like Thorne and have and have faith in him. But what if he's not the guy? You know, you're, you're kind of screwed here. I mean, you're not going to – you know, Walker White projects to be a really good quarterback that you recruited, but you're not going to play him as a true freshman. So, um yeah, I don't know, man. It, 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 it really feels like we all thought Hugh Freeze was going to hit the ground running in the SEC, and they were slow out of the gates, and then they you know, got on a little hot streak, and then you know, nearly almost beat Alabama, should have beat Alabama. But you go and lose a bowl game like that, and you finish sub-500 year one, you know, even though you signed a hell of a recruiting class, I think a lot of people are looking at Hugh Freeze sideways going, hey, brother, you better take a step forward in year two because, you know, if this isn't at least an 8-9 win Auburn team next year, I think there's going to be some big questions already being raised on Hugh Freeze, you know, has, has the boat passed him by. This is a guy who won in the SEC a decade ago, but what's going on if he can't win this time around? Georgia, I think they're going to be like a rabid dog. They're going to be like a dog with rabies because Kirby Smart, with the way that they came up and didn't deliver against Alabama in the SEC championship game, took out all of those frustrations on the college football playoff committee and on Florida State and showed, I don't care if you're opting out, if you're opting in, we're still going to beat the hell out of you. 63-3, to that's exactly what I expected to see out of Kirby. And the dogs moving forward next year, I think are going to be even hungrier than they were coming off back-to-back -back national titles. Well, it just shows Georgia deserved to be in the playoff this year. I mean, I, I get it. There was only four spots and the whole debate on well, who do you leave out and all this sort of thing. But w when they dropped Georgia from one down to six after losing by three points to Alabama the SEC title game, I just thought was it was a little ridiculous. And we saw just how ridiculously talented Georgia still really is. And by the way, that was without a couple of their big-time talents like Amarius Mims and Brock Powers that didn't take part in the bowl game. So, you know, it, it's um, – you, you won't convince me that Georgia was not one of the four best teams in the country. In fact, I was talking to one of the national guys uh, down at the Sugar Bowl, and, and I said, you know, if the committee really had some cojones, you know, they could have said conference championship weekend doesn't matter. You know, they do this whole thing about, well, if you're your conference champion, they put a lot of stock into that. Well, they didn't a year ago. Remember, TCU lost the Big 12 title game.
all the Florida State stuff aside, I could have made a case to put Georgia in over Alabama. And you say, well, they just lost head-to-head, but let's compare losses at that point. And you would have said, well, Georgia has the better loss. They lost by three on a neutral field to a highly-ranked Alabama team, whereas Alabama's loss was by double digits at home to a Texas team. So it's just kind of having fun and and semantic arguments. But, um, no, I mean, you watch how Georgia played in that game, and I guess Florida State was a little bit depleted in some of their opt-outs. But, I mean, that was straight-up embarrassing. For a previously undefeated team to play like that, yeah, Georgia's going to be a problem for a lot of people next year. They're not going. They're not going away anytime soon. I mean, I know their schedule is a little bit tough next year, but um, they are going to be a problem for everybody in the SEC once again. Ole Miss and Lane Kiffin. It was funny to hear him when he was put on the spot on Saturday by the game day crew to say roll tide, but his team rolled over Penn State, thirty-eight to twenty-five. Jackson Dart and. Quinshawn Junkins, I think, can be a problem and a thorn in everyone's side next year, especially with the expansion of the college football playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, I was saying that a couple of weeks ago, just when, when I happened, to, you know, when they did the whole schedule reveal for next year, I saw Ole Miss's schedule. I said, my God, like, they, they, this thing really sets up for them. And then on top of it, if they had Quinshawn Junkins and Jackson Dark coming back, well, yeah. Well, that was before even all the – they started getting all these transfers, and the Grove Collective ended up the money, and they went and got all these proven SEC stars from across the, the conference, and they're all coming to Ole Miss next year. Um, yeah, they're going to be the talk of, of the offseason, and I think a lot of people expect Ole Miss will be a preseason top-10 team going into the next season, and we'll see how it plays out. I mean, their toughest non-conference game is a trip to Wake Forest. Like, are you kidding me? So, I, I, I would say the floor for Ole Miss next year, it, at least on paper, should be 10-2. and two. And the ceiling could be 12-0. And, and Ole Miss, for the first time ever, could get to Atlanta and go play for an SEC title game. But, of course, we know with the playoff expansion next year, playing for a conference championship doesn't really matter anymore. I mean, Ole Miss could go 10-2, and two, not play for the, for the conference championship, and still get into the playoff as a, as a top-12 team. So, uh, no, I, I put them and Missouri in the same boat. I mean, it was fantastic seasons for both Eli Drinkwitz and Ole Miss. Um, you know, it, Ole Miss beats up a Penn State team that, that didn't have some of their main guys. Uh, obviously, Ohio State beats or, or Missouri beats an Ohio State team that, that lost their quarterback in uh, Kyle McCord. But still, I mean, Missouri was losing that game three to nothing going into the fourth quarter, and they found a way to scratch across two touchdowns to get a win. And so, big feather in the cap for both Drinkwitz and and uh, Lake Kiffin, and both of them finish eleven and two and. Both of them bring a lot back next year. I mean, even Missouri is going to bring back Brady Cook, their quarterback, Luther Burden, the stud wide receiver. So, yeah, there's a big reason to, to be buying stock into both those teams going into the offseason. And, again, both could be playoff teams next year. Kentucky loses the shootout to Clemson on really the last play of the game, 38-35, to and they finish at 7-6. and six. I, would, I would say that that was kind of a, a – a, not a great finish for the Kentucky Wildcats because Coach Stoops, they had their team feeling pretty good there after the first eight weeks of college football. Yeah, I, I don't hang my head if I'm Kentucky on that one. I mean, they, they played as good as they could, and, you know, their defense um, just kind of let them down there. And you get caught in that, in that thing where both teams are scoring and, and, and things weird things were happening. They were turning the ball over a lot and all this. And uh, and it's that thing where, like, you score and you're like, did we score too quick? And you give Clemson the ball with two minutes. They're kind of marching down and bleeding the clock. 
Um, I, I wouldn't hang my head up on Kentucky. You, you put up a, a, a solid effort, but you, you flip over a lot of the roster here. I mean, you're going to lose Devin Leary, who you brought in as a one-year kind of paid assassin. Ray Davis, who came in as a, you know the stud running back from Vanderbilt, he had an awesome year. Uh, so a lot to replace. You know, obviously, they've done so through the portal. Brock Vandergriff, the quarterback from Georgia, is coming over. So they're going to have a lot of new pieces at Kentucky, and, and it's, a, it's a pretty tough schedule for them next year. So we'll see what happens. But obviously, you know, the rumors of uh, Mark Stoops, you know, perhaps entertaining, leaving for A&M, those were real. And so we'll see, you know, if the Kentucky fans are excited to have him back and, and keep him. And we'll see what he can do. But, yeah, again, I can't – if I'm Kentucky, I can't hang my head. I mean, that's a proud Clemson team that still has a lot of four- or five-star talent on the roster. I agree with you there. Chris Gordy, Locked On SEC host, joining us here on the final drive. And now when you look forward, the addition of Texas and Oklahoma – and they're not being an SEC team in the college football national title game. You were down in New Orleans at the Sugar Bowl. Do you think that Washington and the runner-up for the Heisman Trophy, the Jaden Daniels, will defeat Jim Harbaugh? Because at the end of the day, one of these teams are going to be 15-0 and and have and be right there in national championship elite company finishing 15-0. and yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm done questioning Michael Penix and, and doubting him and doubting Washington. I just seeing him in person. They just they, he was in full control of that game, and and honestly, I, I thought they left some points out there and really probably should have won that game by double digits. I mean, they you know they they messed up with um, you know trying to bleed the clock and you know end up giving the ball back to Texas, but Texas had a chance there at the end, but. Um, I, I think if they line up and replay that game again tomorrow, I, I would I would take Washington and you know by, by eight to ten points. I just think they're that much of a better team. They were better in the trenches, offensive and defensive line. And um, Michigan's going to be a, a really good test for them because we'll see. You know, Blake Horn is, is gashing them in the run game. I mean, he he didn't run all over Alabama yesterday, but he still averaged close to four and a half yards a carry. So you know, I think that's. Um, it's going to be a really interesting matchup. I know it's not as sexy. I know a lot of people in SEC country won't really give a damn about Michigan and Washington. I think a lot of the country will be rooting against Michigan and Harbaugh because of the whole cheating scandal and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, man, I, I think Washington and Michael Penix have an ab- absolutely have a chance to they'll finish thing, this thing off. And you know, It's funny, I was talking with somebody today about the whole Heisman thing. And you know, Jane Daniels, I thought, was very special. For how bad LSU's defense was this year, to do what he did, it was special. But, you know, some people bring up the, the idea, should should we hold off on the Heisman until after the season is over? You know, I always go back to 2006 when, um, you know, 05, 06, when Vince Young wins the, the national championship. Reggie Bush had won the Heisman that year. And, you know, had they waited until after that game, you know, Vince Young would probably win the Heisman trophy. And so it'll be fascinating if come Monday night, Michael Penix leads his team to a championship, you could make the case. Yeah, he finished second to Jaden Daniels, but, you know, maybe Michael Penix actually deserved to win the Heisman this year because you know, he would cap off a pretty outstanding undefeated season, a season where they were underdogs, you know, a handful of times, not once but twice to Oregon and beat beat, beat them twice. So um, it, it'll be an interesting game, although, like I said, a lot of folks in, in SEC country will, won't really care much about that game on Monday night. Yeah, I agree with you. And like you said, the addition of Texas and Oklahoma coming here to the SEC and divisionless football championships coming next year. This time it'll definitely be 
a different look for college football, one in which we're looking forward to for sure. And before we know it, Chris, SEC Media Days will be upon us in July in Dallas this year. So I know that it'll be a new look, a new format, a new feel, and we'll see who actually decides to opt in and opt out as the bowl games end and you have to make that declaration date. And with the second signing day coming up also to see what these schools are looking for like from a true freshman starting standpoint and can't thank you enough for always joining us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5 want to wish you a very happy and prosperous new year and how can people follow all of your locked on SEC coverage yeah just search locked on SEC wherever you get your podcast and on YouTube and uh you're right I mean there's a lot that could still happen you know I was going back through my notes and looking through last spring and you know, there were a lot of guys who, um, you know, ended up signing with you know, or transferring to SEC schools in the spring that played big factors this year. So, um, yeah, rosters are not still not fully set. A lot can change throughout spring ball. And like you said, still another signing day to come. So a lot to come and maybe some coaching movement. Will, will, will Kevin Steele and Tommy Reese both be back with Alabama next year? That'll be something to keep an eye on. Absolutely. Can't thank you enough, Chris. Take care. and We'll talk to you again next week, my friend. All right, thanks, Corey. Chris Gordy, spinning the same type of knowledge and wisdom Nick and I were sitting and debating in regards to the Heisman Trophy finalist votes should be announced at the end of the college football season, not before you even play not only in a championship game but as well as a bowl game. And that's just where I am. Times have changed with college football, with conference realignment, not only with conference realignment, also with Portal and NIL. Let's go ahead and while we're making those wholesale changes, let's change the time in which the Heisman Trophy Award is given out as well. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Nick Wiggins will be right back. Hey, this is Buckus Blakes from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to WNSP in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5, and our next guest coming up at 4.30 is the new head football coach at Faith Academy. The Rams have made their choice, and we'll talk to Eric Speakman, who comes in from Opelika High School. So Faith Academy getting a very and quality coach, one that coached in the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star Game and Coach Speakman. So we'll introduce him to the Gulf Coast coming up next here on the final drive. But, Nick, as far as Jim Harbaugh not coaching in all the games this season, missing out on six, do you know how much money he received for winning the Big Ten East title? No. 500000 All right. Do you know how much money he received for winning the Big Ten title? No. $1 million. Not bad. Do you know how much he received for getting the college football playoff berth? A million? An additional 500000 Okay. If he wins the national championship. Two mil? He'll get another million dollars. Okay. So you're looking at him possibly coming in at $300 million added to his salary this season, in which I think will be his final season as the head coach of the Wolverines mm. and had missed coaching in six 
out of the 15 games. Well, look, I'll say this about Jim Harbaugh. Whenever he missed those games, it was said that he reached out to his dad to kind of fill in and join the Michigan coaching staff. I saw a video of Jim Harbaugh's dad. Never seen him before. They're, they're twins, man. They, they're a clone of one another. So when I saw him talking after the post game, I was like, you know what? Maybe it was like he never left the sidelines after all because he's literally just a, you know, 30 years younger version of his father. They are the exact same. Well, Jim and John both give all the credit to their father. I know when we had him right. on our show, John Harbaugh, he talked about his father and what his dad meant being the head coach at Western Kentucky and coaching also at Michigan and what a family vacation consisted of. So looking forward to see if he's able to collect on that $3 million in his contract. But there are a lot of people out there that are hating on Michigan. Don't want to see them finish the deal with two scandals sitting in their lap this year. I know coming up next, we will have the new head football coach of the Faith Academy Rams coming to us from Opelika High School. Always love to introduce new coaches to the area. Not really a stranger to the Gulf Coast, but is a stranger to Faith Academy. So we'll introduce you to Eric Speakman coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. This is Mayor Sandy Stimson. You're listening to Sports Radio 105.5 FM WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LaBounty along with Nick Wiggins wishing you and yours a very happy new year as this is our first show since we've started 2024 plenty going on not only in college football in the nfl but also in high school football as faith academy the rams jack french he retires and steps down as the head football coach but it didn't take athletic director woody head long to find a very successful and no stranger to the gulf coast in his replacement of jack french that is Eric Speakman will now take over the Faith Academy Rams football program coming to us from Opelika and spending the last six as head football coach there at Opelika. Coach, I know it's always a pleasure to catch up with you. Saw you during the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game, but at that time had no clue that you would be the next head football coach of Faith Academy. Congratulations and Happy New Year to you. Hey, thank y'all. Thank y'all for having me, and Happy New Year to y'all. Yeah, it's an exciting time and great way to start a new year, and you know, it was great seeing you down there in Hattiesburg, and I, I at that time, I had no clue either, so uh, pretty cool deal, isn't it? Absolutely. It always goes full circle, and no stranger to Mobile, Alabama, as you were starting your high school career under the legendary GOAT Terry Curtis back in 1999 at UMS Wright and now having an opportunity to participate in 5A Region 1 football with the reclassification taking place. We just mentioned how things go full circle. I know that has to be fun for you to come back to the Gulf Coast and be able to compete against a mentor like Terry Curtis. Yeah, it's really exciting to be able to do that. And, you know, I could have never guessed 25 years ago when I 
left Auburn University taking a job in Mobile. I knew two people total, and that was Coach Curtis and a guy named John Turner, who's now at Enterprise uh, coaching with Ben Blackman. And uh, and then here we are 25 years later coming back down and, and taking over a program that, that Coach French really got off the ground six years ago. And, and like you said, getting to compete in region, uh, region one down there in 5A and getting to play against Coach Curtis later on. I've already seen the schedule, and it's going to be late October when we get to go over there, and it's at UMS. So that will be a really cool night for me uh, to, to be able to go back after all these years and, and get to coach against uh, Coach Curtis and, and then some of those guys on that staff who I've known for a long time. Coach, having an opportunity to finish up this season at Opelika, and then you'll be making the transition full-time over to Faith Academy. What was it that really led you to want to become the next head coach of the Faith Academy Rams? Yeah, it started, uh, you know, we were down in, Miss, in over in Hattiesburg for the Alabama-Mississippi practices and getting ready for that game, and Coach French decided to retire after many successful years, and uh, Coach Curtis actually called me that afternoon and uh, let me know that, he had, that Coach French had stepped down and that Faith would be calling me. And uh, obviously, you don't get jobs in, in this business without knowing people, and uh, they had contacted Coach Curtis about some different people, and and, and my name popped up, and then you know for, through some other contacts also popped up. So Coach uh, Head called me, and we talked for about an hour while we were uh, down in Mississippi, and then I, I was able to go down there in Christmas break and meet with them for, gosh, we probably met five or six hours, and uh, I got to meet with the principal and the uh, headmaster, Mr. Skelton, and uh, just really hit it off and uh, like the vision they have for, for what they want to do with, with the football program moving forward. And uh, I think a lot of our the things that we like and how we run a program, uh, how I've learned from Coach McCracken and Coach Curtis and Coach Blackman and those guys, uh, just everything kind of lined up with, with their vision and, and, and our vision. Absolutely. And Opelika is that big boy football, 7A is the classification for Opelika and having a chance just to see the growth of the state of Alabama moving from 6A to 7A and this year being that reclassification. I know that you saw a lot and you learned a lot from the legendary Spence McCracken there at Opelika, but what a great opportunity it is to to take those relationships and everything and everyone that you've learned and met during that time down here to Faith Academy and transition over. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, I, a lot of my good friends in the coaching world are down in that Mobile area, and uh, I've always kept in touch with guys uh, down there. And then, of course, you know, we always, in all my years at Opelika, 24 total, we always played teams in Mobile throughout the playoffs. And so, you know, we were. It seemed like we were always playing in Mobile. It was that we could never get anybody up here for some reason, but just the way the bracket falls. But uh, just through those, all those years of being an assistant and then moving up into the head coaching role, getting to be friends with guys in that area, uh, Jeff Kelly and you know Ben when he was at Spanish Fort and Chase Smith now at Spanish Fort and you know even Coach Riles that just left Baldwin County. Uh, and, and numerous other guys, you know, too many to name. Uh, it's going to be exciting to get down with there with those guys. You know, coaching is such a fraternity, and uh, other than the nights we compete against each other, most of us are all good friends. So uh, really excited about being down there with all those guys. Without question, I know we're, we're in the holiday season, and I know that school hasn't started back for a lot of 
schools yet, so you probably have. Now, have you had an opportunity to, to meet with anyone outside of administration, meet with the players at all, or when is your first scheduled team meeting if you have not? Yeah, we have not been able to do that. Uh, this, like you said earlier in the intro, this moved really quick, and which is always good when when team when the administrations are you know move quick and know what they want. That always is a really good sign. So uh, I'll come down uh, sometime, probably in the next, uh, probably within the next week and a half, and uh, just meet with everybody. I've, I've got to finish the school year here though, uh, just to get my time in. Which is the other thing I, I uh, really liked about the fact that Faith was willing to work with me on that, and you know they were because uh, they knew that up front, you know that I had to finish this year to get the full 25 years in, and uh, so they're going to work with me on on being able to come down some and and just really just you know we'll get whenever we get down there we're going to hit it 100 miles an hour. So uh, look forward to meeting all those kids and the coaches and the administration and teachers and all the people that that make Faith a great place. Eric Speakman, the new head football coach at Faith Academy, taking over for the retired Jack French. And Coach Speakman comes in to us from Opelika High School, somewhere to where he had tremendous success over the last 24 years there at Opelika and taking over for one Caleb Ross who was promoting, of course, here along the Gulf Coast. A lot of people remember the name Caleb Ross winning the state championship at McGill Tulin. And I know that, again, the, the opportunities that the Lord has presented with you and your family, I know that it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for you jumping in here against UMS and BC Rain and Viger and some of the other great contenders that are in 5A Region 1. We normally down here, we call 5A Region 1 and 6A Region 1 the SEC West because of how tough the scheduling is and how they beat up on one another. You're very familiar with how tough it is in 7A Region 2 as well. So I just know the great competition that you mentioned is one of those great challenges on a week-to-week -week basis that just ultimately makes you stay on top of your game. And when you have great administration and great returning players that buy into your vision, that makes it even better. It does. Uh, you know, that's what's exciting about coming down to that area and the great football that's always been there. You know, I'm a, I guess you could say I'm a high school football junkie. I love, you know, that Alabama historical website. I, I'm on it all the time just looking up stuff and uh, just all the tradition that you have in that area with, you know, you mentioned Viger, and I still say that Viger team in the 1980s, what was that, 87, 88? That's that's still the best team ever. Uh, you got all these new people that want to want to talk about you know some of these new teams coming along, but uh, you know you go back to those days and even back when you know BC Rain's got it turned around now, and uh, you know uh, Williamson's always a threat to to beat anybody. And you got Coach McDaniel down in Alberta building his program, and of course you got Coach Curtis who's won more games than any of us can count. So uh, just being able to coach in that league is going to be a lot of fun and. You know, kind of humbled by getting to go against those guys and uh, compete against them every Friday night. Looking forward to you coming down here and joining us. And let me ask you this, Coach. Sometimes when you come in, or are you one of those coaches that believes in the seven-on-seven seven during the summertime and the development of players since you will be coming in at the end of the school year? And I know that if people want to know what is your philosophy as a head coach, what would you say that would be? Yeah, well, you know, to answer that first question, I love the seven on seven in the summer for for what it. You know, I don't live and die by it, but I know that if you can compete at that, you're going to have a good football season. 
And, uh, you know, now I don't know how much we'll be able to do at Faith. I'll just have to kind of gauge uh, what the athletes do in the summer, you know, with it being a, a little bit smaller school. And then, of course, you've got the you know, baseball team that's such a traditional power that, you know, we're going to have to have some of those guys helping us on the football field. So we'll have to work around their schedules in the summer because uh, that's when most of them are, are out earning their scholarships through their, their summer travel ball programs. But uh, I do do like doing it. Now, whether it's just getting in a league down there and doing it a couple nights during the week, during the summer, I'd love to do that. But, you know, as far as going to all the different camps that you see everybody go to, I don't know that we'll be able to do that right off the bat. But really just, you know, uh, defensive first guy, you know, I believe if you can play great defense, you're going to win a lot of games. We've done that at Opelika uh, here for a long time. And uh, then, you know, whatever you can get offensively, you know, is, is going to be a bonus. But obviously trying to find some playmakers there to put up points, which is, you know, crucial now in, in today's football, spreading the field, you know, getting guys out in space and all the, all the coaching terms you hear. But uh, really the best, the biggest thing is just to come out here and have fun. I want every kid that wants to play football to be a part of this program. And, uh, you know, the good thing about it is, you, you know, I've heard about all the great kids there. So just being able to impact their lives and, and hopefully they'll impact ours too once we get down there. Absolutely. Eric Speakman, the new head football coach at Faith Academy, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And, Coach, I can't thank you enough for taking time to, to join us this afternoon on the final drive and also looking forward to seeing you and your arrival as the new head football coach at Faith Academy. I know they have a winner, and the culture that you'll create is one that will continue to cultivate winners there at Faith Academy. So welcome to the Gulf Coast and to 5A Region 1 football at Faith Academy. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate y'all having me on today, Corey. Absolutely. Eric Speakman, the new head football coach at Faith Academy, joining us. And we'll jump right back when we come back from this break, talk a little bit more about Jim Harbaugh and his payday and the bonuses that he'll be receiving for playing in the college football national championship game, what he can receive for winning it, along with what you thought about Bo Nix's performance at Oregon and him ending his career as an Oregon Duck. The SEC 5-4 and four in SEC Bowl games. First time since 2014 we won't have a Southeastern Conference team being represented. I don't think that will happen as we expand the college football playoffs. But the final drive, Corey LeBounty and Nick Wiggins will be right back. Hey, this is AJ McCarron, and you're listening to WNSD. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Coming up next hour, we'll have our Chavis Furniture talking football. Tracy Turner, Scott Hunter scheduled to join us. And Nick, Alabama loses to Michigan 27 to 20. And we had someone in the app say, how can you convert on fourth and 31, but not on fourth and three? Falls down to there was a great snap on fourth and 31. There was not a crappy snap on fourth and 31. There was one on fourth and three and really all afternoon long. But with that being said, Alabama was still winning 20 to 13 with three and a half, four minutes left to go in the game. Had to have one stop. Couldn't get the stop. And if you were to tell me what is the strength of Alabama in 2023, 
I would say it was the defense mm -hmm. because you're dealing with a new quarterback. You're dealing with new offensive linemen. You're dealing with new wide receivers. So that continuity, you're dealing with a new running back at times. So that continuity was not the same as it was a year ago. So I would think the defense being that strong point, especially the way that they played against Georgia and against LSU at times, against Ole Miss in the second half, against Tennessee, that the defense would have been able to step up to the plate. And someone in the app says Alabama's best weapon was a kicker. Yeah, and without question, that was the most consistent weapon for the last five years for Alabama. And you can say, yes, Bryce Young was the best quarterback ever to put on a Crimson Tide uniform, but the best kicker to ever come through Alabama was also Will Reichert. And Alabama doesn't win a lot of games without the consistency of Will Reichert as well. Yeah, I mean, I think we would both agree that Alabama's real weapon this year was Jalen Milrow. Maybe, I mean, they definitely were firing that weapon more, right? Maybe uh, Will Reichert was more of an efficient weapon. But, um, look, I mean, the college football playoff games, they had great endings, right? We talked, you know, all show about how they both ended on that final play. I think we did have our correct teams. Um, but I am excited, and I know, you know, we got talking football coming up here at 5, but tomorrow... Look, we, we broke down a lot of what happened last night, but, I mean, there's also a lot of action over the weekend uh, in the NFL. I know we'll have George Teague on tomorrow, talk about his Dallas Cowboys stealing a game. Your uh, Miami Dolphins, did you guys, who did you guys play? The this Ravens. We weren't healthy. The Ravens, that's right. Y'all got freaking They put a 50-piece on us. <laughs> they put a 50-piece yes. on us, but that's what happens. You know, you tell me someone else. Besides Lamar Jackson, that's the most valuable player. And oh, it has he, to be. he's the MVP of the that, National He locked football. in that ticket uh, against Miami for sure. Uh, Lamar Jackson, through all the injuries and everything, I mean. But how Ravens would you like this, Nick? Good? You start 2024, you have one Harbaugh that can win the oh, national gosh. championship in January. Is this the and then you have the, the other Harbaugh? one that can win the, uh, the, the NFL World here, Championship yeah. in February. So – 2024 can it. be filled with Harbaugh's. I'm not opposed to it. Let's kick off the year. The year of the Harbaugh. What, last year? I think this past year was the year of the Kelsey brothers. Maybe now we're going with the Harbaugh brothers. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. No, I, I think it. it would be great for sports, especially if Harbaugh knows, Jim Harbaugh knows that he's on his way out at Michigan yeah. to go out on top. I'll, I'll say this. If you would have put in a... Raven Super Bowl, Michigan Wolverines National Championship parlay <laughs> at the beginning of the football season, that Harbaugh ticket, man, you would be making some good money, or you at least would think uh, your odds would be looking really good after uh, last night. Yeah, they, they would be looking spectacular. And again, looking spectacular were the Michigan Wolverines knocking off the Crimson Tide 27-20 to 20 in overtime and Washington defeating Texas as Texas was not able to convert on the final play of the game. 37-31 to 31 was that final as well. The SEC finishing at 5-4 and four in bowl games. Nick, the first Alabama class under Nick Saban 
not to win a national championship within that four-year oh, window. Oh, wow. They went through their whole four years, didn't win anything. That's something that I, I, I mean, no other coach in college football can sit there and say that for as long as Nick Saban has done it. You know, you're get, he, well, now you, you, you can't guarantee one of your recruits a ring anymore. Used to, that could have been a guarantee. You come to That's Alabama, statement. four years, you're going to get you a ring. Now, not so much. And well, now, with the college football playoff ex, uh, expanding, Expansion. it's going to be even tougher. Because I think that, you know, as much as we said we got the right teams because of how great these games were, I also think it was just the moment. You know, this big game, it's the same like March Madness. These games come down to the wire more frequently in that tournament than they do in the regular season because the intensity's up, the teams are playing harder, and I think with more playoff games, we're going to get a lot more really great uh, playoff football games, and we're not going to get a lot of that Florida State-Georgia stuff because all of your elite, elite teams are going to be in those big games. Well, I know the SEC is going to be elite next year, so out of the expansion with Oklahoma and Texas coming in, how many teams do you think the SEC gets in the college football playoffs next year? At a minimum, three. You're going to say a minimum of three? Yeah, they'll, they'll at a minimum represent, what, 25% of the teams that are in there. I agree with that because that's where the money is. Follow the money is what Scott Hunter said. And we tried to follow the Alabama Crimson Tide to a win that would have propelled you're them playing you on head out, You're happy you didn't go out to L.A. now? No, because that's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Yeah, yeah. So you, you definitely go with the once-in-a-lifetime experiences. But, again, Under Armour All-American game coming up tomorrow. Ryan Williams, Ken Coleman will be participating. We'll talk about that tomorrow on the show as well. But here at 5 o'clock, Chavez Furniture talking football. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner coming up. Huddle up. It's time for Chavis Furniture's Talkin' Football. Stay with us as Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner discuss Alabama, Auburn, South Alabama, the SEC, and college football around the country. Brought to you by Clutch and Powertrain. Call now at 694-1055 or join the discussion on the Sound of Mobile app. Welcome in to the Chavez Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. And there's plenty of football to be talked about, especially if you're an Auburn Tiger fan or an Alabama Crimson Tide fan, as what we saw this past Saturday and, of course, yesterday in the Rose Bowl. So at the end of the day, what we're looking at, Tracy, is no SEC team in the college football national championship for the first time since 2014. And that part sucks for the SEC. And if you're the commissioner, you're like, okay, I'm expanding to Texas and Oklahoma. We're going to divisionless football next year to where this probably will not occur to my conference again. But if you're an Alabama fan, you're probably not happy right now with the results. But when you saw the sun come up today, out in California, you knew that Alabama left it all on the field, and this was Nick Saban's greatest coaching job. Alabama was up with three and a half minutes left to go in the game by seven and just couldn't finish the deal. 
Yeah, I think they probably got it right, though. I think the two best teams, I mean, that guy at Washington was literally, we talk about and Scott talks about on this show, uh, you know, some of the drills that quarterbacks do as far as what they call throwing the ball into a garbage can, not knocking the garbage can over. And some of those throws that Penix made last night, I mean, he literally would drop the ball down a chimney. Perfect. Because we all think the guy at Texas is pretty good. He missed the last throw three yards. His guy had inside position. If he throws the ball the way Phoenix was throwing it, they probably catch it and beat Washington. He threw the ball a yard out of bounds. What do they say that football's a game of inches? Inches, <laughs> inches, and and we saw. I mean, here. think about Alabama would have had an interception if his foot wasn't an inch. To start the, the game. To start the game. And, and that was a great way from a momentum standpoint. And Alabama drives the football right down and scores. It goes up 7-0 to zero against Michigan. So you're, you were feeling great about the matchup. And then when you look at the struggles, we talked about it here throughout the season. And Scott compared it to Alabama's offensive line has to dance like ballerinas. They have to look like the Rockettes. They have to all be on the same page. Through the first four games, the Texas game and a few games after that, Alabama, South Florida, no continuity from an offensive line standpoint. Problems with the center, the quarterback, snap and exchange there. Then all of a sudden, those problems vanished for about 10 weeks. And then yesterday. The left tackle who couldn't stay out of motion early in the year found whatever that was. I think he had two motion penalties. Didn't really block anybody much. That big left guard. Now, he he's uh, one. He weighs about 340 or so, but uh, he, he played a good game. But And the center played good if you watched his film, but I just don't know. I mean, Herbstreet took up for him or one of the announcers did, but the snaps were bad. They were bad. They, you can't have the ball in your quarterback shin. You can't have it, you know, having a snapper of my own who's a deep snapper now. You know, you don't want your punter having to jump over here two or three yards to catch the ball because it's off – and and because Milroy wants to just catch the ball and have his up his eyes up and down the field seeing things, the snaps just weren't good. I'm not piling on, but no, they weren't good. Hey, you're telling the truth there. I mean, there is no way to sugarcoat that. And I know Scott Hunter is joining us on the phone. And Scott, hope that you're having safe travels and happy new year to you as well. Welcome into the Chavis Furniture Talking Football. Well, we just walked back into the condo from Los Angeles, California, having flown across the country today. So just sat down and then tuned up and ready to go. Well, Scott, I, I know that you and I and Tracy had talked about Alabama's offensive line and the problems that were occurring in the center to quarterback exchange there was a problem and you playing that quarterback position you can know better than anyone else what it's like when your center doesn't give you a clean snap and Alabama had some great momentum going there in the third quarter and a bad snap now it's like third and 35 and then you look at the last play of the game let's address the center problems the snap change exchange problems first Scott that happened way too yeah. often yesterday. Wasn't Seth McLaughlin's best day at the yeah. office for sure? I, I really do not understand at this time of the season 
while you're while you're having issues with a snap in the spread formation, for instance, look at Michigan, uh, the J, the Lawrence JT, whatever Lawrence, he had no issues with any snaps from his center. Every one of them hit him right in the belt buckle, uh, just uniformly. So I, I, I'm disappointed by that. And we'll talk a bit about the last play of the game. Uh, was going to be a successful play, and it was a good play call. I know a lot of Alabama fans have questions about the play call itself. Having to draw it out on, on the whiteboard for us. That uh, it was a good play call. It was just a poor snap from center that, that blew the play up. Yeah, I agree with you. Everything is predicated upon timing there, Scott. And, you know, the old bumper sticker that Brody Coral had in the Iron Bowl, honk if you sacked Brody. Five sacks there in the first half, and Alabama's only down by three points in the Rose Bowl. Did that not amaze you, the fact that, Alabama was struggling offensively and had been sacked five times and still was only down by three. Well, uh, Alabama did have a very good first half offensively. Now, defensively, uh, they played about as well as they could play considering the offense didn't give them a lot of help, uh, you know, converting on third downs and keeping the ball and so forth. Um, um, But, you know, the first half, was a kind of a, a a scheme match between the two coaching staffs, and I thought their coaching staff got a little bit better out of the scheme match. They came out uh, from the get-go blitzing uh, Jalen, and I told a guy beside me, he said, what can he do about that? Well, when you blitz, you give up the short routes right behind the blitzer called the hot zone, and typically what you have uh, when you see a blitz is the receiver breaks off his call, call route and runs into a slant into that dead area where the linebacker or safety or even corner is left from, and you hit him with a quick slant, you pop it to him, he goes 12 or 15. You do that once or twice, you don't see it anymore. But Alabama did not do that, and consequently, uh, a lot of the first quarter was lost to, you know, Michigan blitzing and getting sacks and keeping Alabama backed up. Very unfortunate there. And I know we do have a caller on the line. 251-694-1055 is how you can get into the Chavez Furniture Talking Football. Caller, Happy New Year to you and welcome to Talking Football. Yeah, thanks. A Happy New Year to Scott and uh, Tracy. Uh going to miss you guys for <laughs> for a while but uh just a comment i know i listened to scott talk about the center play and i noticed that the center on his pass blocking had a tendency to push his guy to the right which in effect almost shut off uh jalen's favorite uh run route which is wide right uh the other thing is that they had a tough time with those two scat backs uh, wilson and Curran. Did Scott. we lose, Jerry? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, Scott. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. Can you repeat the question? He dropped out on the call. I'm on. Oh, okay. Here. All right. Uh, look, at the center, I was watching the uh, uh, pass blocking, and the center and the right guard, they had a tendency to, 
tendency to push their guys uh, to the right. In other words, they kept them out of the pocket, but they were pushed back and they kept their guys uh, out to the right, which, which in effect shut off Jalen's uh, favorite run route around right end. Uh, Corey, can you pick up the question? He, uh, Jerry was dropping out a little bit on our third Sure, he, he, he was talking about blocking to the right and not being able to sustain when he was blocking to the right, the tendencies that Alabama's offensive linemen have blocking to the right, and then the routes that the receivers were running favored the right side. So the inability there for Miro to be pure on basically the timing of the offense, Scott. Yeah, I, and he's right. Jerry's right. Uh, Michigan was rushing from that side. You know, their coaches had near a month to uh, look at the videos and study what Alabama's line issues might be. And they had a scheme, and they came in there, and, and they, you know, they threw their scheme at Alabama to see if it would work, and it did work. Um, and, you know, Tracy knows more about pass blocking than I do, but uh, I think – Yesterday, our offensive line did not fan on several pass protections. And, Tracy, you want to pick that up and explain what fanning is on pass protection? Well, that's so funny you said that because as I watched that game and watched a number of games, when we would block, we would step and jab, whether you're on the right side or the left side, just, you know, which with the arm to make sure that the center had help with a nose if you had a nose or a shade. Uh, but if I was uncovered because we were playing a base three team, which if you see in the second half, Alabama played a lot of base four. They put four big guys in there to counteract Michigan trying to go heavy on them. But if you if I'm not covered, I'm going to jab to help the center to make sure he didn't get beat initially, and then I'm going to help out. I'm going to fan out, as Scott's talking about. I'm going to look out because a number of times there was not enough people to block when you would bring somebody off of the corner. Whereas if the guard jabbed and helped on the nose and fanned out, he would be able to pick that. And I, and I saw that a, a number of times where uh, the guard would just sort of help double the nose, and they may bury him. But one, if he stays on him and doesn't keep his eyes up, his head up, that's when uh, they were very successful, Michigan was, in, in going to their left, Alabama's right, and then bringing the outside edge rusher or linebacker all the way around and right up the middle, they were doing that on purpose so that if Jalen started to try to step up where he thought he had a hole, there was the blitzer looping around, as they called it. Many of you saw it. So I, I don't know why a lot of it in my mind is is they you get your head down instead of keeping your eyes up. And, you know, we ran a lot of toss sweep with Bo, and that was one of the things as a pulling guard like I did – I had to keep my eyes up because if I start to pull and the linebacker tries to shoot through the gap where I'm vacating the pull, I gotta I gotta go back and get him. Well, if I got my head down and I'm not, we call it keep your head on a swivel. If you don't keep your head on a swivel and see what's going on, the guy may shoot right behind you where you just vacated the hole. And now he's not gonna run bow down many times, but it's not what you want to have happen. So. That's what Scott's talking about as far as fanning out and blocking out instead of getting locked in. Well, we'll talk more about the Alabama-Michigan overtime fantastic finish. We'll also talk more about Auburn's defeat to Maryland. 
31 to 13 in Nashville. <laughs> I know it's one that you definitely want to put behind you pretty quickly and, and move forward there, Tracy. But it, it is a situation here to where the SEC shut out for the first time since 2014 in the national championship games. Chavez Furniture talking football Tuesday. We'll continue. Scott Hunter, Tracy Turner, Corey Labonte, Nick Wiggins. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Jake Peavy, MLB pitcher and Mobile, Alabama native. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to the Chavis Furniture Talking Football. A Tuesday edition is always here on WNSP 105.5. Scott Hunter joining us on the phone as he's made that West Coast to East, really the Southeast Coast. He went from one L.A. to the other L.A. You know, you go from Los Angeles to lower Alabama. Scott Hunter with us. Tracy Turner in studio with me here. Nick Wiggins helping us out, making sure that we have everything and everyone on the same accord. And not being really on the same accord on Saturday were the Auburn Tigers. 31-13 to 13 was the final score Maryland over Auburn and when you start looking at Auburn Tiger news something that kind of the weekend news dump Charles Kelly the former defensive coordinator at Alabama went to be with Deion Sanders there at Colorado one year with Colorado he's coming home to Auburn so I think that Charles Kelly joining the Coming off being named the National Recruiter of the Year. That's huge for the Auburn program. Well, uh, Charles Kelly was at Florida State. He wasn't the defensive coordinator in 13 when they beat Auburn, but he was on the staff. And then I think 14 through 16 or 17, he was a defensive coordinator there. He was a position coach at Alabama. Yes, that's right, defensive back. Then he took the, the – uh, defensive coordinator position at Colorado. And so now he's coming back just if everybody's read about that or if you hadn't, he he went to school at Auburn. He has family still in Alabama. Uh, didn't you tell me that uh, his daughter's at, yep. at the university right now? Yep, we were in the Super 7 and he, uh, she was there. You know, so uh, I know that uh, he was considered for the defensive coordinator position when he got the job. Uh, he's long time wanted to get back to Alabama and um, over the weekend also I don't know did you notice that uh, McGriff left Auburn and went to A&M so they had a position in the secondary which is what coach Kelly coaches so I don't know how he and coach Etheridge who's going to coach safeties who's going to coach corners doesn't matter both of them have coached the other two positions so they uh, work it out but uh, you you lose a good recruiter in Coach McGriff, who apparently, all right, was having some issues communicating with Coach Roberts and the current defensive coordinator. Uh, and you get somebody in who wanted to be there, who has Alabama roots and is known as a great recruiter. So we'll see how that all works out. But certainly Charles Kelly has quite the pedigree and knows how to recruit everywhere, but certainly in the in the South. 
Well, let's talk about the game. 31 to 13, Auburn gives up 21 points in the first quarter, and it's pretty much trying to play catch up from that point in time. And we have seen Auburn's offense not really built to play catch up this season in this 2020 three year you have Peyton Thorne 13 out of 27 for only 84 yards one touchdown one interception and Jarquez Hunter where I thought that Auburn would really gash Maryland from rushing the football 13 carries for 44 yards what do you attribute to Auburn's slow start because everything coming and leading up to the Music City Bowl there was a lot of energy, enthusiasm coming out of the recruitment period over into the bowl game. Coach Freeze felt they had a great week of practice, and then all of a sudden, Coach Freeze postgame talks more about the game plan wasn't where he needed to be because they had focused, he had focused specifically on more recruiting than the game plan. <laughs> you, you know, uh, what did uh – the famous boxer say, Ali. Uh, uh, "No, the, the Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the mouth. Right. <laughs> okay, right. so yeah, they had a plan, and Maryland hit them in the mouth. And I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm on here to talk football, and I, I'm very concerned as an Auburn alum with the quarterback position." Um, you know, it's bad when you see a guy that hadn't played really all year who's a, re who's a true freshman taking a red shirt. You throw him in at the last two series of the game, just see what he can do, and he throws some more yards. I know it's prevent, and sure. I know the other team has got all their guys playing, but you can still see taking your steps, making your reads, getting the ball out, throwing the ball accurately on time. That's the kind of things you see in seven-on-seven. Seven. So if you just play an air, you can still see – does the person have a quick release? Does the ball get out on time? Is it a catchable ball? Is it thrown in a good location, et cetera? Um, you know, and you see more things out of the red shirt freshman than you do Peyton Thorne. So I, I think Auburn's going to have to decide something about the quarterback position uh, coming up in spring practice. So, uh, you know, and, and, and I think it showed there's a few spots they still need to uh, probably dip into the transfer portal and try to find – find some more players so uh, nobody nobody thought that it was uh, all built but it sure it was uh, not a good performance and uh, I, I text I turned out to be wrong because I text my son and say uh, yeah it's pretty bad when you get embarrassed two out of your last three games and, and your chief rival's about to win a natty but at least that part that last part happen. didn't happen. So, <laughs> I, well, I, I would say this, Tracy. When but you, you at least know that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, no, no doubt about <laughs> it. And, and I look at the Auburn season. They they finish up six and seven instead of seven and six. And it, it is one of something that doesn't happen at Auburn very often. The third consecutive losing season for the first time in forty five years. For, and that's something in 45 years, Auburn has not had three consecutive losing seasons, meaning they've been consistently winning and consistently above that 500 level to where even though you look at what Coach Harson and how he left the cupboard bare and how Hugh Freeze had to build it from the ground up, it's still one of those records that you, you just you, you still wanted to be seven and six or on the top side of 500 for sure. It is. But as we talk about on this show, and I know Scott does because, you know, I mean, Scott was a very successful quarterback and played 10 or 11 years in the league and was on a 
team that almost went to the Super Bowl, et, et cetera, for the Green Bay Packers, et cetera. So he knows about quarterbacking. And the current modern-day college football is a quarterback game, okay? Penix at Washington in the national championship. Beck had a, a better season than Stetson Bennett had, and Georgia only lost one game and was number one until the last game of the year. Jalen came on at the end of the year and played well, and Alabama started winning. Uh, the, the kid at uh, Michigan had been solid all J. year, McCarthy. and as we know, some of the reason they went conservative was he had gotten hurt, and so they were just protecting him to get him well for the last part of the season. Texas was in it because Ewers, uh, teams that, that uh, lost, the quarterback at Penn State, didn't play all that well. Poor Iowa. They won 10 games with one of the best defenses around because they had no offense and their quarterback. So it's a quarterback game, and I think Auburn has to find a quarterback that can uh, play at a pretty high level or they're going to still be around just trying to get in a bowl game. 31 to 13, that final score in the Music City Bowl. And on the other side of this break, Scott will come back and talk more about the Crimson Tide and, and where you felt the Crimson Tide could have taken advantage of some of the things that Michigan was showing and giving them offensively and defensively and where the Alabama Crimson Tide go from here moving forward into divisionless SEC football in 2024. Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. We'll be right back here on WNSP. Hi, this is Dan Jennings with the Washington Nationals, and you're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Welcome back to the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. Tracy Turner in the studio with me. Scott Horner, Hunter joining us on the phone lines. And Scott, Alabama falls 27 to 20 in overtime. And you look and you recap. We talked a little bit about it at the beginning of this Javis Furniture talking football. The play calling by Tommy Reese. He's taking a lot of heat today. I think it's unwarranted. The offensive line and, and the quarterback center exchanged really is the focal point. But Alabama's defense, to me, which is the strength of this 2023 team when they were up 20 to 13, Scott, I felt that Alabama's defense was going to find a way to get that stop and prevail there at the end of the game leading 20 to 13. I didn't think Michigan would be able to drive the length of the field to tie the game up and send us into overtime. You know, we're all taking bets. We'd all bet down here that that wouldn't happen, that Alabama's defense would rise up and stop Michigan. Alabama would get the ball back, put it down there for a field goal to make it 23-13 or 27-13, and the game would have been over. You know, uh, I think it was, I don't know, 441 or so in the game when Alabama made it 2013. So uh, I was looking for the defense to make a big stop. And as I previously said, uh, Alabama's offense to take it down there and put it in, and that did that. Scott, there was a muff punt by Jake Thaw at the one-yard line. 
with 43 seconds left in regulation. And you want to talk about football being a game of inches, not yards. Alabama was that close to recovering that kick, that punt in the end zone, and or better yet, getting a safety that would have been right. game changing also. Right. I mean, it. it and a fan next to me said, I thought we got a safety. I said, well, I, I'm looking at it, and I think Michigan got the ball out about the half-yard line on the recovery um, and made a real good effort to do that. And uh, help me with the rules here, but I don't think they're – and he was saying, why don't they review that? And I said, well, I don't think they review spots. Uh, meaning where the ball is spotted. I don't think that's a reviewable play. So, consequently, that's why the ball wasn't reviewed. But I still, per my eyeball, I still think Michigan got it out of the end zone and got it out to the half-yard line or so uh, in the field of play. Scott, also, when you do look about Michigan's speed, Alabama really in the secondary, that's the strength and the meat and potatoes of this defense and the speed in the same routes that Michigan was able to run to be successful, whether it was that drag route or the slant route in which they had a lot of success catching the football in yards after catch. You look at Roman Wilson, four receptions for 73 yards and a touchdown. Tyler Morris had those two receptions for 45 yards and a touchdown. To me, Michigan's wide receiver speed was as elite as our secondary speed. Well, I, I, I respectfully, I don't agree with you there. What Michigan hit on were passes that people were wide open. Uh, they were well-schemed plays, like the back coming out of the backfield and so forth. Uh, there were a lot of well-schemed plays by Michigan, which had a guy catching the ball out in the open, and, heck, you, know, you, I, or Tracy could run for 30 yards after we caught some of those passes. So give it to the Michigan coaches there. I don't think Michigan surprised us with any different speed than we'd seen them when they played Ohio State or earlier games. I just think that Michigan's coaching staff uh, had a great plan, and they had a scheme for plays like that where they had to kind of fool you with back uh, – taking a delay out of the backfield and coming out and catching the ball in, in open space like that uh, last drive that Michigan gave, made, what, they had a fourth and seven, mm-hmm. and they had a back come out of the backfield uh, uncovered after delaying and so forth and catching a pass and going, I don't know, what, 30, 30 yards or so. Uh, so I give it to the Michigan beat, uh, coaches uh, in that respect. They had a scheme. Scott, what were your initial thoughts there on at the beginning of the game from a momentum standpoint? Alabama on the really the first series is able to intercept the pass of J.J. McCarthy. Unfortunately, Caleb Downs was out of bounds with that interception, but Alabama's defense bowls up, gets the stop, and then Jace McClellan and the offense is able to jump on the board early and go up 7-0. to It kind of looked and started off to where all things were leaning and heading toward Alabama having a dominating performance the same way they did in the SEC championship game. I, I, I totally agree with you. I think you're right on point. I said, somebody, if we keep this up and keep keep it rolling like this, 
this thing will be like uh, like I predicted in Alan Barrow's column. I sent out the other day. I prefaced it with Alabama wins, you know, 34-24 thereabouts. It'll be that kind of game. Yeah, I mean, I really felt that Alabama had the upper hand by scoring earlier, and, you know, Michigan was able to answer and, and tie it up at seven, and people are looking at the missed extra point by Michigan, which was huge and played a huge factor in the game going to overtime. But Will Reichert hitting on consecutive 50-yard field oh goals what an offensive weapon the NCAA's all-time leading scorer that Alabama's going to have to look to replace. Uh, that's going to be a big hole. Let's see in spring training when we get up there and watch spring training, and particularly you know the the scrimmage that Coach Saban lets us eight club guys go to. Let's just see how the punting or the place kicking competition goes because it's going to be hard to replace a guy like that. Yeah, I agree with you there. And as far as, you know, Coach Saban, I know when I had Bob Baumhauer on the show on Friday, he's, he agreed that this was Coach Saban's best coaching job. And I think at the podium yesterday in the postgame news conference, Coach Saban made reference to this is probably the most fun he has had, the most challenging but the most fun he's had watching the growth and the maturity of this Alabama team from where it started and the loss to Texas and to where it ultimately became SEC champions and dethroning Georgia. I know that Coach Saban still has a lot of fuel in the tank, and a lot of people were trying to say, well, you know, he, he's getting too old. He doesn't want to do this anymore. I think that this, to me, is even going to add even more fuel to Coach Saban's fire. Well, I would ask anybody that questions of whether this was his greatest job to say to them, okay, how would you like to coach Alabama and you just finished your third game and you don't know who your quarterback is? Now, that's following, uh, that's following Jalen Hurts, mm -hmm. uh, Tua Tagovailoa, mm -hmm. Mac Jones, and, and uh, Price. he's in Carolina. And, and that's following those guys, and all of a sudden, after the third game, you don't have any idea who the quarterback is. I know they said they're going to play Jalen, but that didn't mean Jalen was going to step up and be the quarterback. He could have laid a bomb. I forget, who did we play after uh, South Florida? Was it – help me here. Was it uh, that Jalen played a good game in? But Jalen could have laid Ole another Miss. bomb. Oh Miss. And we could have been – Ole Miss, and we could have been – really without a, a quarterback, and, and you'd have to start thinking about Ty Simpson uh, and just saying, okay, we're going to play this guy and, and play for next year and see how he does and so forth. So that's, uh, I don't think anybody's thought about it like that. But, you know, three games into the season, we didn't have a quarterback. Yeah, yeah I agree with you on that, Scott, especially the way that, Alabama went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Texas until the fourth quarter and then kind of really struggled and sputtered against South Florida in the second half against Ole Miss. Not that first half, but the second half against Ole Miss is what really turned the corner for Jalen Milrow and this offensive staff here. Let me ask you this, Scott. If there was one thing that you saw sitting there watching the game 
offensively because, again, I have no problem with Tommy Reese. I have no problem with Jalen Milrow. I think the line didn't play their best game. But at the same time, if you could have called any play a little differently there in the overtime at fourth and three, what would you have done anything different than what was called? No, um, the fans need to – there's a website now you can go and look and you, you look into play in its totality as you as – you, it's the coach's video from the press box rather than the TV video. And in it you'll see that Jalen was going to have an RPO option. The guard, right guard was pulling around, and he did a good job of pulling around. You follow the guard if you run the ball. You follow the guard and you go right into the end zone, probably standing up because the outside linebacker from Michigan had to contain so he couldn't dive down. Also, the, the back that was in motion to the left was to try to pull that linebacker out slightly. and But he also had two receivers in front of him ready to shield block. So if Jalen didn't like what he saw uh, after the snap, he could quickly flip it out to the back. It was, was it 27 that was out there on a flare? And he's going to catch the ball about the five or six yard line and probably just jog in as the two wide receivers shield the defensive backs. He's just going to jog in to, you know, give us a chance to tie the score. So Tommy's play call was a good call. What was the problem was execution. The ball was snapped at Jalen's knees. He went down to get it. When he came back up, he didn't have the look that he needed to get the time to get the look so he could either run the football on the RPO behind the guard or throw it out to the back who was in motion uh, to take it into the end zone. So the call and the play after looking at it today on the airplane flying back was not a bad call and not a bad play. It was just poor execution. Scott Hunter joining us on the phone here on the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday We'll put the finishing touches on the Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. When we come back, we'll look ahead, get a preview of the national championship game between Washington and along with the Michigan Wolverines. We'll give our predictions on that, and we'll look ahead to the recruiting and the second signing period along with what's coming up here in the spring for both Alabama and Auburn. Chavis Furniture Talking Football Tuesday. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Stuart Fink from the PGA Tour. You're listening to WNFB Sports Radio in Mobile. Welcome back to Chavis Furniture's Talking Football on 105.5 FM, live at WNSP.com and on the Sound of Mobile app. Once again, Scott Hunter and Tracy Turner. Chavis Furniture Talking Football Bowl Edition, and we're wrapping up here with the national championship game next Monday between Washington and Michigan. Washington 14 and 0 having won their last national championship in 1991, the year before Alabama wins its title in 92, in Michigan looking for their first national championship since 1997. They're 14-0 as well. And despite all the controversy, the recruiting violations during COVID, the sign-stealing scandal, Jim Harbaugh has his Michigan Wolverines 
trying to to win that national title. And Scott, after seeing them up close and personal and seeing the Washington Huskies with their phenomenal quarterback who finished second in the Heisman, what are, what are your predictions there? Michigan's favored by four and a half. Can the Huskies win a national championship over the Michigan Wolverines? I think they can. If Michael Spinnings has a, a fantastic game, which I think he's perfectly capable of doing, uh, it's going to be difficult for the Michigan coaches. Now they've just got a week to to scheme against uh, Washington. Of course, I know they've been scheming against Alabama and considering who they might play in the national championship if they beat Alabama. Uh, but, you know, that guy, man, per what I saw last night when we got back to the hotel in Los Angeles, that guy is just fantastic. Uh, I've under, underestimated him. I thought it was just more West Coast seven-on-seven football. But Washington plays pretty well. And I think if Washington can turn this into a scoring contest, uh, they win it. Tracy, your thoughts on – I know you stayed up to watch the Texas-Washington game, and you mentioned the elite quarterback play that we did see out of Penix Jr., can the Huskies win their first national championship since 1991? Well, you probably have the stats over here, but I know I saw at one point late in the first half. Didn't the game go to half 21-21? I think. Yeah, it was a great. It was a great game going and in. And number seven, the running back had like seven yards on ten carries, or either ten yards on seven carries, but two touchdowns. And if I'm not mistaken, he got hurt on the last series of the game, even he already had a bad foot and he re-injured it and he had to sit out a week or two when he had hurt it before. So I don't know whether he's going to be able to go or not next Monday. I, a lot of Washington's plays, uh, if you, if I'm not mistaken, don't they throw – didn't they throw more downfield passes than anybody else in NCAA football? I don't think that Washington's offensive line is going to keep the blitz of Michigan's off anymore. And those downfield throws take three seconds. So uh, it'll be interesting. The one thing about it is with those downfield throws, they're, most of them, it's 50-50 balls. Except Penix was great <laughs> at dropping the ball. Literally, a couple of the times his the guy was covered. The, the man was running what they call in sync or in time or in focus or there's another in something else they call it. But in other words, he was right there beside him, and he just dropped it right over the other shoulder away. Yeah. Perfect placed ball, 40, 30 yards downfield. <laughs> so um, I think it'll be interesting. I do agree with Scott. I don't. I don't. I don't think that it favors Michigan to get into a high-scoring contest. But then again, you know, Texas scored 31 and were one good throw away from winning the game 38-37. So I think it will be real interesting. I, I just don't see Washington stopping the Michigan running attack. And so, you know, we're going to have a 10-possession game and uh, – I guess I do have to make a prediction here before we go off today. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take Michigan. Michigan, well. And give the points. I like I like Michigan to win as well. I think that, you know, to be the man, you have to beat the man. And once again, Michigan found a way to get it done for Coach Harbaugh. And despite all the distractions and the outside noise, 
It's kind of like Tupac said, me against the world. And that's the mentality that Michigan has taken because of the controversy that's been swirling around their coach. I think they know their coach is on the way out. You could ask my wife. When the team said that in the post-game press, I said it reminds me of Coach Bryan and Junction Boys. One team, one heartbeat. That's what they are. And that's what they were. They were all my brother. It was none of this me, me, me. It was all us, us, us. It takes a lot to beat that. Absolutely. Scott, can't thank you enough for going from one L.A. to another L.A. Look forward to catching up with you again real soon, and Happy New Year. 